You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. This is Concussion Chronicles, where you get all the top research analyzed, synthesized, and delivered directly to your inbox every single month. There's over 100 scientific publications on concussion every single month. How do you know what's relevant? How do you know what's important? What's worth spending your time? Not only that, but how do you keep up with everything else that you have to keep up with as a healthcare professional? Concussion Chronicles solves this problem by having our research team scour the literature every single week and give you a synthesis and summary of the best and most relevant concussion-related scientific publications for each month. This saves you time and gives you what you need to know each and every month. Click on the link in the show notes to sign up for Concussion Chronicles today. All right, everyone. Welcome to episode 62 of Ask Concussion Doc. I am your host, Dr. Cameron Marshall. Uh, today's episode is on baseline testing, right? Everyone's back to school now. You know, sports are starting up. Uh, a lot of fall sports, hockey, football, and etc. Um, everyone has concussion and baseline testing on their mind. So we're going to talk about baseline testing, why it's important, uh, some of the misconceptions about baseline testing. Uh, and this will help you know people to understand a little bit more about it. So first off, what is baseline testing? Well, baseline testing is a concept. Okay, it's not a particular test or anything like that. So if people say we do baseline testing, you have to know that that doesn't necessarily mean anything. You have to know what type of tests they include in their baseline test. A baseline test or the idea of baseline testing is a concept, meaning that you do you test yourself on a number of different facets, ideally, and then you use that information if a concussion happens to occur. Because when a concussion happens, you have a, um, you have symptoms that occur, so you have all these symptoms that come on right away, and then over time the symptoms start to go away, and so you start to feel better. The problem is that the recovery of the brain takes longer than the symptoms do to go away. So we also know that during that period where the symptoms have gone away, but the brain is still recovering, that there's vulnerability. So a smaller impact can cause another concussion. And that second concussion create cumulative and additive damage, potentially create fatal outcomes. So having two concussions back to back is really what you want to avoid. Most protocols just call for symptom resolution, but the evidence shows that symptoms do not correlate with the recovery of the brain. So that's our issue, that's our problem, that's the problem with concussions in general, right? And if we think about this in any other injury, right, if you've ever had a broken bone, you break a bone, ow, it hurts, it hurts really bad. You go to the hospital, they look at it, they do what? They take an x-ray to see it. Oh, there it is, bone is broken. Yes, you're right. What are we gonna do? We're gonna put a cast on it and we're gonna let you go. Put a cast on it. About a week later, 
the symptoms from that break are kind of gone. The arm feels okay. Symptoms are gone. Pain is gone. But does that mean I can just cut my cast off and go back and play my sport? Well, no, because the bone underneath is still healing. And how long is that going to take? Probably four to six weeks. And what are they going to do each time you go back to the doctor, even with your cast on? Take another x-ray. Oh, we're seeing, yeah, we're getting the starting of some formation of a callus there. It's still not ready yet, though. Come back in a couple weeks. Come back in a couple weeks. Okay, we're getting a little bit more solid. Good. Keep the cast on. Come back in a couple weeks. Okay, good. Now we have sufficient healing. I think the bone is strong enough. Take the cast off, and now you can go back and get back into your activities because the bone has healed sufficiently where it's not just going to re-break and potentially break even worse. If I just go, if I just relied on symptoms and I got my cast and I said, well, my arm feels fine. I'm just going to cut this off and I'm going to go play. You're going to break your arm again. And you could break it even worse than you did before. And now you have, you know, a worse injury that you have to deal with. Now the recovery time, maybe you need surgery now. The recovery time may get longer. So it's the same thing with concussion. If we rely on symptoms and say, well, I feel okay. Therefore, I am okay and I'm going to go play my sport because I think I'm fine you're more likely to injure yourself again. And then that second injury can be compounded and more cumulative. So the idea here is that we can't rely on symptoms in order to determine appropriate recovery of the brain. Therefore, the concept is to have functional measures. Balance is impaired following concussion. Reaction time is impaired following concussion. Vision, memory, um, executive function, uh, reaction time. All these things are impaired following concussion. But how do we know we're impaired if we don't know how good we did before our injury? So the idea behind baseline testing is a concept. You, you test yourself on a number of different things and you have that information and the results available. In the event you get a concussion, you have symptoms, and then those symptoms go away now, in order to determine recovery a little bit better and have a little bit more information to make those decisions, we can then retest you on all of those things. Vision, reaction time, memory, concentration, cognitive functioning, balance, and see how that lines up to where you were before. Okay, so baseline testing is a concept. And the idea is to help make safer return to sport decisions. We don't need a baseline to make a diagnosis. Because ultimately, all you need to make a diagnosis is a mechanism of injury, meaning some sort of impact, and symptoms shortly thereafter. So you get hit, you have symptoms, you have a concussion. I don't need to take the initial x-ray. I already know. So it doesn't really help me to make a diagnosis. In some cases, it does. If I got hit really hard, and I felt maybe a couple symptoms right away, and then they kind of went away, and now I'm unsure, Having some information can show me functional deficits that may not show up when I'm t asking somebody about symptoms. So it can be helpful in that scenario, but that's a little bit more rare. Where this type of testing and these results become more important and, and um, uh, yeah, more important really, that's the word I'm looking for, is at the back end. So you're going through recovery all the way through, you get to a point, your symptoms are gone, and now you wanna go and play your sport, we can say, all right, I know you feel better, but hold on a second here. Let's test your balance, your reaction time, your memory. Okay, your reaction time is still slow, your balance is still off, and your memory is still off. I know you feel better, but you're not, you're not there yet. So let's wait a week. Come back, we'll retest you then. 
come back, retest. You know what? Your reaction time's still a little bit slow. These things look like they're coming back on board though. So you're almost there, which is good. Okay. And then finally, maybe get to a point where everything's back on track. Neurocognitive function's there. Balance is there. Reaction time's there. Vision is there. Okay. Now I feel way more confident in making that decision. Okay. That's what baseline testing is. So we know that there's this energy deficit with concussion that occurs. We know that that energy deficit takes weeks to recover, yet symptoms in most people go away seven to 10 days later. So if we relied on symptoms, we're potentially allowing athletes to go back to their sport while they're still in a vulnerable state. Therefore, we're increasing the chances that they're putting themselves into a risky scenario, which they could get another hit. And if they get another hit, they're in trouble. And this is where having good quality objective measures can help. It may also be able to help the long-term effects. So there's a lot of concern right now about multiple concussions over your playing career that ultimately lead to uh, long-term uh, neurodegenerative conditions. So here's a study that was done in mice. And this is from William Meehan in 2012. And the big thing to keep in mind here is that every single group of mice got the same number of concussions. The only difference was how spaced out those injuries were. Group one got five, got a concussion every month. So every single month they were given another concussion for five months. Group two got a concussion every single week for five weeks. Group three got a concussion every single day for five days. The sham group went through the entire process of being anesthetized and everything, but they didn't actually get a concussion. They never delivered a force. So that, but they went through the whole process. So that's the sham group. So again, all groups got five concussions. The only difference is how spaced out they were. The recovery from an energy standpoint for a rat in, or a mouse involved in these studies is about five to seven days. So around the one week mark is recovery for a mouse. That's like at the, at the shortest end. For humans, it's like three to six weeks. So it's a lot longer, right? Similar to a fracture, break your arm, it's gonna take four to six weeks. Get a concussion, gonna take four to six weeks. But we don't have an x-ray this is our x-ray, right? Our baseline is our x-ray. So anyway, five concussions, different spacing. One month after the final injury, they tested them on cognitive measures. They made them do some water mazes, which is what they do for mice to test their cognitive ability, their mental capacity. One month after the final injury, the group that had a concussion every month for five months showed absolutely no difference than a group that didn't have a concussion at all. The groups that had concussions every day for five days and every week for five weeks were impaired significantly compared to the sham group. So again, the group that, they all had five concussions, but the one that was spaced out each month showed no deficits compared to a group that had never had a concussion before. Then one year after the final injury, they retested all of them again. The group that had a concussion every month for five months still showed no impairment. The group that had a concussion every day for five days still showed impairment. So five concussions, the only difference is timing. So is it the number of concussions you get or is it how you recover that matters most? And to me, it's recovery. How do we measure recovery? Well, we know that symptoms are terrible. So having some objectivity is the only way to go. So here we go. How does the Berlin Consensus Statement define recovery? Here's what they say. Recent literature suggests that the physiological time of recovery, 
may outlast the time of clinical recovery, meaning symptoms. The consequence of this is that athletes may be exposed to additional risks by returning to play while there is ongoing brain dysfunction. How do they define recovery? Recovery encompasses a resolution of post-concussion related symptoms and a return to clinically normal balance and cognitive function. Well, what's clinically normal balance and cognitive function? If you don't know where you started, how do you know where you're trying to get to, right? The idea is that we could, might be able to rely on normative data, right? If somebody's quote unquote normal, then they're normal. But what if that person was exceptional before their injury? What if my balance was spectacular? What if I'm in the 99th percentile for balance and I get a concussion and now you're comparing me to somebody who's 75th percentile for balance? You're gonna look at that and say, well, you're normal, but is that normal for me? No. So baseline testing again is a concept. Some people will just do one test and consider that to be a true baseline, which it is not. Okay, so not all baselines are created equal. You wanna know what tests are being done and you want a multifaceted battery. Somebody who's just doing the SCAT test, also you have to know how long the tests last for, right? The SCAT test is shown to normalize within a couple days after injury. It's meant to be a sideline measure. So it's meant to pick up the early acute stages of concussion, but after three or four days, it's back to normal, even in a concussed individual. The symptoms of concussion last longer than the results of the SCAT. So if you're gonna do a SCAT as a baseline, is that gonna help you three weeks later? No. So if you're just doing a SCAT test, it's useless, okay? Some people will just do a computer test and consider that to be a baseline. That is a type of baseline, but that in itself is not baseline testing. It's one component. And if you're not doing the rest of it, you're gonna miss things, okay? So, purpose of baseline testing is not for diagnosis. As I mentioned, it is for assisting in making safer return to play decisions. Good baseline tests should involve a battery of tests which include Tests for various areas of brain function, such as cognitive and physical, they should have good test-retest reliability, ha like for at least six months to a year later, have good longevity after injury, meaning that they're able to show increased sensitivity so that even you know a couple weeks after injury, there's still deficits that may be lingering, so it has to have good longevity. If it normalizes two days after the injury, and then it's a useless test in terms of making return to play decisions. So these are things that have to go into developing a good baseline testing protocol. Some of the arguments against baseline testing. So there's, there's a couple groups out there that say you don't need to do a baseline test. The reasons, the reliability of and sensitivity is not good enough to be used uh, for this use. So the problem is that many of the studies that show reliability issues with baseline testing typically will look at one single test by itself. If you look at any test by itself, it's not gonna be 100% accurate. For example, you wouldn't take you know, a urine sample and diagnose some sort of disease with it. You would want then to take a blood sample. Then you might wanna get some imaging. Then you might wanna get a biopsy. You're gonna to wanna to do a number of things, right? Similar to those who are therapists that are out there, you're not gonna diagnose a meniscal tear based on a positive McMurray's test. You're gonna do a McMurray's test, then you're gonna do a Thessaly's test, then you're gonna look at joint line tenderness, and all of those tests together are gonna to allow you to arrive at a clinical picture. You should never look at the, the reliability or, or sensitivity of one specific test because it's always gonna fall short. And the research that's quoted oftentimes when people say the test retest reliability isn't there, they'll look at one test. They'll look at a computer test and say, it's got poor test retest reliability or it's not, you know, not accurate enough to pick it up. But that's not how they were meant to be used. That's not baseline testing. That is a single test. Baseline testing is a battery or should be a battery of tests, okay?
Argument number two, you don't need a baseline test to make a diagnosis. We already went over this. You don't need a baseline test to make a diagnosis because diagnosis is made on mechanism of injury and symptoms. That's it. Sometimes it can be helpful. So most of the time you don't need it though. Uh, you don't need a baseline because we have normative data. Well, I just kind of alluded to that, that norms are not everybody. You are not the norm, right? You might have really awesome balance, really terrible reaction time, average memory, and really good executive function. So you hover around normal, but you are not normal. In order to know how you are, we need to know where you are in each of those different things. And then we can say, all right, well, you had really good balance. You're testing normal and balance now, but you need to get back up here before we let you go because that's not full recovery for you. Right? You're still showing deficits for you. And if we don't know where you were and we're just comparing you to normal, we're fluctuating around a mean. Uh, another argument is that tests have not been validated for younger patients. This is true in some tests. For example, computerized neurocognitive testing has not been validated in younger, younger athletes. Uh, but other tests like, for example, the King Devic ocular motor test has. So it depends. You have to use the right testing tests. You have to use the right test battery for the right age group. So that's just something that, as a clinician, you have to take into account to make sure you have a good baseline test. So for and against baseline testing. So here's statements. Here's a list of statements and groups of experts who are in support of baseline testing. And by in support, I mean they claim that it can be helpful, uh, it could be beneficial, or otherwise recommend that it could be or should be used. The international consensus statement on concussion in sport says that baseline testing can be helpful. Concussion in sport Australia position statement 2019 says so as well. The Canadian Olympic and Paralympic concussion guidelines just came out and recommended that all athletes undergo preseason baseline testing on an annual basis with neurocognitive, ocular motor, and uh, some other physical balance testing involved. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommend baseline testing be done on an annual basis. The NCAA Diagnosis and Management Sports Related Concussion Best Practices Handbook recommended that a multifaceted baseline test be done on an annual basis. The uh, National Athletic Trainers Association Position Statement for the Management of Sport Concussion recommends that a multimodal baseline test be done each year. The Ontario Neurotrauma Foundation Guidelines for Pediatric Concussion recommend that baselines should be considered in pediatric patients who play high-risk sports. And the proceedings from the International Ice Hockey Summit in 2019 uh, had six recommendations for improving the safety of hockey. And one of those recommendations was mandatory baseline testing for all athletes of all age groups to help with making safer return to play decisions. There is one group discouraging the use of baseline testing, and that is a statement that was put out by Parachute Canada last year, and that's the only statement we can find in the world uh, that has a negative connotation around baseline testing that suggests that, it's, uh, that it shouldn't be done, don't bother doing it because of these reliability and whatever issues. So um, they mostly quote in that, they mostly quote a paper that looked at just computerized testing, right? So like I said, if you look at just one test by itself, there's gonna be problems. So computerized neurocognitive testing, um, is age dependent. So if you're only doing computerized testing, you need to make sure that um, it's the right age um, and it should not be used in isolation. And this is kind of what the research says. Test retest reliabilities issue. It may pick up dysfunctions that aren't there and it also may miss dysfunctions that are there. But if you have other tests, you can corroborate that with your finding, right? You're not going to diagnose a meniscal tear with one orthopedic test. 
you're going to do six or seven, and then when they all are showing you something, you're going to say, okay, that it seems like that's what it is. Whereas just doing one test, you've, you don't have anything else to fall back on. And that's the problem, right? So they should never be used in isolation. Normative data on computerized neurocognitive testing shows that if you use just the established norms, you're going to miss 50% of the time. It's a coin flip. It's going to misclassify patients 50% of the time versus using their own baseline. So conclusion on computerized neurocognitive testing is that it can be a valuable addition to the concussion puzzle in people old over the age of 13, but it's most useful if you have a pre-injury baseline and as well have a multimodal thing to fall back on. So you're not just doing that test and that test alone, but you have a whole battery of tests so you can say, well, here's the result, here's the results of this test, here's the results of this test, here's the results of this test. Okay, this test shows no impairment, but these five are, so I'm gonna listen to these five, right? There might be a flaw over here, but at least you have that to fall back on. So there was a large study that was done looking at test retest reliability and it was done, there was about 5,000 people involved in this particular study and they did all these common baseline tests and they put them all together. And it was done over four years across 30 different sites. And here's the quote from that article. Ultimately, while none of these measures, none of them, individually meet the reliability standards set for clinical utility, so taking any one test by itself is not reliable. There is evidence that combining them in a multifaceted assessment model provides a high level of sensitivity by comparing baseline performance to post-concussion changes in cognitive function. So again, if you take one test and only look at the research looking at single tests, you're going to think that it's not worth doing. But if you have a good program that combines them all, you have a high level of sensitivity by comparing baseline to post-injury. And I'm just going to reiterate some of this stuff here. So here's a few studies. Uh, Malloy, 2017. King Devick by itself identified 53% of concussions. The pitch side concussion assessment tool identified 74% of concussions by itself. Cogsport, which is a computerized neurocognitive test, by itself identified 57% of concussions. When all three were used together, they identified 100% of the concussion injuries. Resch et al. 2016, they did the impact test, symptom severity score, and the sensory organization test, which is a balance on a force plate, which is something that complete concussion management uses as well. When each test was used separately, 47.5% of our sample was misclassified. When combined, we had 100% or 80 to 100% were classified appropriately. So again, one test by itself, you're going to miss half the time. All of them together, 80 to 100%. Marindez et al., 2014. King Devick alone found 79% of injuries. SAC alone, which is part of the SCAT, found 52% of injuries. Combining King Devick and the SAC captured abnormalities in 89%. Adding the BESS, which is a balance score, adding BESS to King Devick and the SAC identified 100% of concussion injuries. So again, a single test is not a baseline. If somebody says, yeah, we do the impact test as our baseline. That's not a baseline. That's a test. That's a single test which should be part of a whole battery of tests. And that is the problem. So we see here what the what the issue is and the importance of doing this because concussion symptoms are going to go away. We need our x-ray. What's our x-ray? Well, it's function. We need to know function. 
right? You're going to have deficits in balance, reaction time, memory, concentration, all these things after the symptoms go away. But in order to know that, we have to know where you were before we started. So having a good concussion management program involves a multifaceted baseline assessment protocol by somebody who knows what they're doing that can age appropriately match the test with the individual and have a comprehensive battery where the best tests with the most reliability are put together to give you the best possible chance of outcome. So that when an injury happens and you're coming into the clinic and your symptoms go away, you know that you can say, all right, let's test you on all this other stuff just to see. And if you start picking up deficits, you start going, look, I know you feel better, but you're not quite there yet. Let's hold you back a week, come back, do it again, right? And we also pair this stuff with things like physical exertion testing because that increases the sensitivity and you know all this other stuff. So more stuff than I wanna get into right now. But there it is, there's baseline testing. That's the importance. There's obviously, there's some controversy around it. Most groups are in support of it. There's one group that's kind of against it so far um, that we've been able to find literally around the world. And so it's trying to take all the information together to arrive at what the best possible outcome may be. And in our opinion, um, having something really good in place is going to be beneficial versus not having it. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Just one more thing before you go. This episode is brought to you by Complete Concussion Management's continuing education platform, more specifically, the level one course, Introduction to Concussion Management for Healthcare Professionals. This course dives into the pathophysiology of acute concussion and covers all the things that happen inside the brain immediately upon impact and also in the days and weeks that follow. We dive into metabolic dysregulation, blood flow impairments, autonomic nervous system dysregulation, heart rate variability, and much, much more. This course also examines the biomechanics of concussion, subconcussive impacts, and looks at the research surrounding concussion prevention programs, and more specifically, neck strengthening. In the final module, we take a very in-depth look at chronic traumatic encephalopathy, otherwise known as CTE. We separate the media hype from the scientific literature and give you an overview and comprehensive in-depth understanding of this particular disease, which allows you, the healthcare professional, to be able to have better conversations with your patients and help to potentially ease their minds from a evidence-based standpoint. This course is meant for healthcare professionals, but it by no means is excluded to healthcare professionals because we know that many people out there that are watching and listening to these podcasts are people with friends, family members, or personal experience with concussions that also want to learn more. So if you want to take this course, you're free to do so. Please visit the link below or in the show notes to see the level one course. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.